0: Welcome to Creep, a podcast that covers all things creepy, from true crime to unsolved mysteries to other strange events. On today's episode, we're covering one of my favorite topics. Drumroll please, the absolute worst ways to die. The first on my list of the worst ways to die is being boiled alive, more accurately, steamed alive makes you think twice about ordering up the lobster, since they're getting the same treatment. The story comes to us from an interview with a former NYC medical examiner, Juni Malenik. According to Malenik, in an interview with the New York Post, one of the most asked questions she gets is, what's the worst way to die? So it seems like I'm not the only one with a morbid curiosity, which is a relief. Anyways, Malenik usually replies to the curious. You don't want to know. Trust me, ma'am. I think we want to know. Share away. So when people like myself insist, Malenik tells the weirdos about Kyle McGarrity, a college graduate with a degree in psychology and business who worked part-time as a waiter at MJ Grill. In the winter of 2002, around Christmas time, McGarity went out drinking with his good pal Keith Masters and Masters' girlfriend. As they all walked home, as people used to do after a night of drinking before Uber and Lyft came around, Masters became convinced that McGarity was trying to hit on his girl. Witnesses later told cops that they saw a man, McGarity, getting the shit beat out of him. McGarity was heard screaming and begging for his life, at one point saying, No, don't break my legs. It was then that a witness said they saw Masters throw McGarity down an open manhole. Now, I know us ladies claim we'd like our boyfriends to stand up for us, and maybe beat up someone if the situation called for it. But what I'm certain of, most ladies don't want their boyfriend to commit murder Long distance relationships are tough, without jail being part of the situation. Anyways, the drop was 18 feet, which itself was probably not very fun for McGarity. At the bottom was a pool of boiling water from a broken main pipe. This means that McGarity did not die instantly. Not only did he not die instantly, McGarity was still alive when the first responders arrived. According to reports, he was standing below trying to reach up and screaming for help. However, it was impossible for any of the paramedics or firefighters to climb down to help. It was, as one of the supervisors said, 300 degrees in the steam tunnel. Several hours later, Kyle McGarity's body was finally able to be recovered. Its temperature was still at 125 degrees, which was the highest reading possible with the tools the medical examiner office had which meant the actual temperature was likely much higher. When the medical examiner saw the body on her autopsy table, she writes she thought he'd been steamed like a lobster. His entire outer layer of skin had peeled off, and his internal organs were literally cooked. There was no other injuries present. He had no broken bones or head trauma, which meant he was fully conscious as he boiled alive. Although Masters was initially charged with murder, the case was later dropped, as there was not enough evidence to charge him with a crime. Alright, so after that story, the next story comes to us from Reddit, where user tone shares a tale likely to give you nightmares about using power tools for the foreseeable future. Here's what he wrote, Worshi she. <laughs> My mom used to work as a fingerprint examiner for a local police department back home. Part of the job involved working homicide suicide scenes, taking prints off bodies and whatnot. She usually came home with pretty cool story once a week. But one night in high school, she came back from work really late and visibly upset. We sat down at the kitchen table and she told me about a suicide she had just worked. He was about my age and apparently had a long history of mental illness. Apparently the kid comes home one day from school and immediately heads to his room. He doesn't lock the door. About an hour later, his eight-year-old brother hears this incredibly loud noise coming from his room. He walks out of the room and pushes the door open, just in time to see his older brother bringing down a miter saw across the back of his own neck. The parents come running down the hall at this point and see the little kid watching his brother stumble away from the miter saw, his head hanging onto his body by the skin of his neck. And collapsing to the floor. My mom hadn't been on the job for a year. The veteran cop she worked with said they'd never imagined so much blood in one room. She says the worst was the saw. It jammed at the base of his neck because the hair and skin got tangled in the rotor. I wasn't there, but the way she described it made me feel like I was. That's a pretty awful way to go. I think the worst part of that story is the fact that the family witnessed this graphic death. Especially a young child. I think that's the one thing that stands out more than anything. So this next story comes to us from Waco, Texas, where Jesse Washington, a black teenage farmhand, was lynched on May fifteenth, 1916. This story later became a well-known example of a racially motivated lynching, and one that was especially gruesome. Washington was convicted of raping and murdering Lucy Fryer, the wife of his white employer in rural Robinson, Texas. He was dragged out of the court by observers and lynched in front of Waco City Hall. Over 10,000 spectators, including city officials and police, gathered to watch the attack. There was even a celebratory atmosphere at the event, many children coming to the event with their parents. From the description, it sounds as if it was a party atmosphere, not one where a young black man was brutally murdered. In the story, a chain was placed around Washington's neck, and he was dragged towards City Hall by the growing mob. On his way downtown, he was stripped, stabbed, and repeatedly beaten with blunt objects. By the time he arrived at City Hall, the group had prepared a wood fire next to a tree in front of the building. Washington, still conscious and covered in blood, was doused with oil, hung from a tree by a chain, and then lowered to the ground. Members of the crowd began to cut off his fingers, toes, and even his genitals. The fire was lit, and Washington was repeatedly raised and lowered into the flames until he burned to death. This whole event took place over two hours. After the fire was extinguished, his charred torso was dragged through the town, and parts of his body were even sold as souvenirs. A professional photographer took photos as the event unfolded, providing rare imagery of the lynching in progress. The photos were then printed and sold as postcards in Waco. I think that whole story really disgusts me, because it was extremely brutal treatment for anyone. Even someone who was convicted of rape and murder. It's quite a shocking tale and I can't imagine anyone going through something like that. Okay, so on to our next horrid tale. This story comes to us from Tokyo, Japan. On November 25th, 1988 four boys abducted Junko Furuto, a third-year high school student. These young men held her captive for 44 days in a house in Tokyo, owned by the parents of one of the boys, a 17-year-old. So according to the records, over the course of her confinement, Furuta was repeatedly raped, beaten, and tortured by her four captors, until they eventually killed her by burning her body. The parents of one of the students was present in the home for at least part of the time that Furuta was held captive, and though she pleaded with them for help, they did not intervene, later claiming that they feared their son too much to do so. The killers then hid her corpse in a 208 liter oil drum filled with concrete. They disposed of her body in a tract in reclaimed land in Tokyo. The reason this story, I think, is so horrific is not just the fact that Fruto was brutally tortured over 44 days. there were people involved that could have intervened. It was the fact that the um, four people that were convicted all received quite short sentences. Um, Two received four to six years, another received a five to nine year term, and the last had a sentence of five to seven years. So All of these four young men are actually now out of jail and in the common population. I think that's quite quite a scary thing to think about is the fact that there are people that have committed such brutal murders and they are walking the streets and you could see them any day you are out. Alright so the next case that we are going to talk about is one of my personal worst fears Um, it's anything that has to do with being underwater. In my opinion, any deaths related to water sound especially, uh, especially scary. Um, so we're gonna talk about one of the most notorious cases, which is actually the Biford Dolphin Incident. So this took place in the 1980s, specifically on November 5th, 1983 at 4am while drilling in the Frigg gas field in the Norwegian sector of the North Sea. Four divers were in a decompression chamber system attached by a trunk to a diving bell on the rig. Um, They were also assisted by two dive tenders. So one of the divers was about to close the door between the chamber system and the trunk when the chamber explosively decompressed from the pressure. One of the tenders, 32-year-old from Great Britain, and all of the other four divers were killed instantly. One of the other tenders was severely injured in the process. Now let's talk about the diver who got the worst of it. So according to the reports, all of his thoracic and abdominal organs, even his thoracic spine, were ejected, as were all of his limbs. Simultaneously, his remains were expelled through the narrow trunk opening left by the jammed chamber door. Fragments of his body were found scattered about the rig. One part of his body was even found lying on the rig's derrick, which was 10 meters or 30 feet above the chamber. So that's although the I think the, the good thing about the story is that they believe that all of the divers and tenders were all killed instantly. However, it's quite a gruesome, gruesome way to uh, to end up with all of your body parts scattered all throughout a chamber underwater, so that's quite scary. Alright, so now our next horrific story also comes from the deep, this time from the Pacific Sea. Although most people know about Pearl Harbor and all the deaths associated from that on U.S. ships, what most people don't know is that not everyone aboard the fated ships Uh, died instantly. So according to the Seattle Times, um, some of the survivors heard a strange banging coming from uh, the hull of the USS West Virginia. At first, everyone thought it was a piece of loose rigging slapping against the wrecked hull. Bang, 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 bang. To the survivors on land, it was just another noise amid the carnage of Pearl Harbor a day after the December seventh, 1941 attack like the sound of firebirds squirting water on the USS Arizona, or the hammers chipping into the overturned hull of the Oklahoma. But they realized the grim truth the next morning. In the quiet dawn, someone was still alive, trapped deep in the forward hull of the sunken battleship. Bang, bang. The Marines standing guard covered their ears. There was nothing anyone could do. When the savage crews reached the West Virginia six months later, they found the bodies of three men huddled in an airtight storeroom. The most haunting discovery? It was a calendar. Sixteen days had been crossed off in red pencil. The young sailors had barked off their time, not knowing what happened to the ship or that their country was at war. It's uh, quite a, quite a crazy story and quite sad that You know there was people trapped in the ship and it would be literally impossible to reach them. It was so far underwater that if you had attempted a rescue mission, um, any attempt to cut them out of the ship would have likely resulted in them instantly being killed in a similar manner to what was described with the uh, bifur dolphin incident. So either way, unfortunately, there was no hope for those trapped sailors. All right, so now we're going to be going back a little bit to the medieval times, and there's certainly a lot of options to choose from. But I went with one of my most terrifying um, medieval inventions called the Pair of anguish. So the Pair of anguish was used during the medieval times as a way to torture women who conducted a miscarriage, um, those that were liars, blasphemers, and even homosexuals. So, it's uh it's quite frightening at first just to uh, to lump in people that uh, identified as being homosexual with women who had a miscarriage with those that lied and <laughs> those that uh, you know used God's name in vain. It's it's quite a quite a random uh, group of people it seems like. Anyways, so the pear shaped instrument was inserted into one of the victim's orifices. So. It's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure type of situation in terms of uh, the horrific. Um, so for women, it could be the vagina, the anus for homosexuals, or the mouth for liars and blasphemers. The instrument consisted of four leaves that slowly separated from each other as the torturer turned the screw at the top. It was the torturer's decision to simply tear the skin or expand the pair to its maximum and mutilate the victim. I think that one, to me, is just, just a horrific, um, horrific, horrific thing to think about. Um, now again, this is a torture device, so it didn't always kill you, so there was always an additional uh, additional thing that they could probably throw in there for fun if they decided that it was time for you to meet your maker. So, going back a little bit further to ancient Greece, we have another pretty horrific way to nature maker as well. Um, and we have the death by brazen bull. So this is quite an interesting story. Um, it does have a little bit of karma that's involved. So the brazen bowl, or bronze bowl, or even Sicilian bull, it goes by many names, was a torture and execution device designed in ancient Greece. According to a story, a historic story, um, it was a mean of executing criminals. The bull was made entirely of bronze, hollow, and had a door on one side. It was actually the form and size of an actual bull, and it had an acoustic apparatus that converted the screams into the sound of a bull. So quite an ingenious invention to put somebody inside there, and as they screamed, it actually sounded like a bull, or so the historic records say. So what they would do is they would lock the condemned inside the device and a fire was set underneath it, heating the metal until the person inside was roasted to death. So the inventor of this bull was so very proud of it. He came to the emperor and he said, his screams will come to you through the pipes of the tenderest, most pathetic, most melodious of bellowings. The inventor thought he would receive an award for his invention. Instead, the emperor, who was so disgusted by his words and his invention, ordered that the bull be tested on the inventor himself. When the inventor entered, he was immediately locked in and a fire was set so that the emperor could hear his screams. However, before the inventor could die, the emperor opened the door and took him away eventually throwing him off a hill and killing him. Now, in a little bit of a fit of karma, we have the emperor is said to have later died in the brazen bull after he was overthrown by another emperor. So talk about just rewards, right? All right, so we have reached the end of our show today talking about the worst ways to die. If there are any crazy stories, crazy ways to die that you've heard of that you'd like to be covered in the next episode, um, please let me know in the comments. Thank you so much.